Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Analysts Seth Jason and Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, happy Friday. Happy Friday hey. to you, Chris. Hey, it's, hey it, what? Did somebody our, kill James? Uh, James may be on vacation. He may be on assignment. He, he He's may, out collecting trees. That's probably where we he miss is. you, buddy. <laughs> it's our first Motley Fool Money of 2010. Can you feel the excitement in the room? Wow. All right. A lot to get to this week, including the holiday retail numbers, the release of Google's magic phone, and the tech world descends upon Las Vegas. But we begin with the big macro. The December jobs report came out this morning, and it wasn't pretty. Employers cut 85,000 jobs, and the unemployment rate held steady at 10%. Guys, how worried should investors be about this news? Uh, well, it's not, obviously not not good news. The, the market was expecting a flat jobs report, 85,000 jobs lost. That's uh, grim news. The November figure was revised upward, and that's good. But on balance, over the quarter, uh, job losses uh, continued. The pace of slackening, that's good news. But to the extent that it reduces any sense of urgency that policymakers might have, it could be catastrophic. Now is not the could time be for- a backbiter. Exactly. Uh, stimulus money will fade uh, come this summer. And absent that, I'm not sure what props up the economy. This. Uh I'm not worried about stocks in general or in or in particular because you can always shop for the stocks uh, individually and in general I think there's no good place to, for other people to put their money so until you see interest rates move I have a feeling stocks keep going up even if it seems nutty but to get to the jobs report and, and as much as we all hate to agree this this doesn't look so great I don't know why it surprised anybody the only good news here are gains in healthcare and temp work, which is sort of what happened last month. Maybe the two places that shouldn't count because they're not things we actually want to see. Uh, unfortunately, the, the media out there, I'm going to have to throw onions uh, or, or mud or rocks at the media. <laughs> I heard, I, I listened to NPR in the morning and I, you have to forgive me, I can't re- didn't hear whether this was, uh, I believe it was marketplace in the morning. But anyway, the reporters were talking about how the slackening pace of job losses clearly indicates an improving job picture, which is like saying that uh, 5 minus 2 when 5 minus 3 was last month. Anyway, it's it's like saying that you're (laughs) subtracting small numbers and and things are getting better. And and it's not true. The slackening pace is okay, but it, it still is a job market that is getting worse. And it also shows that people have given up looking for work and we have an expanding population. So this is a, a terrible report. Yeah, let, let me just sort of uh, pile on there. Yeah, the fact that the un, uh, unemployment rate stayed the same reflects that some people have gotten so discouraged they've just left the, the employment pool entirely. And so it, even though the jobs were lost, employment, unemployment rate stays at 10%. That's that's grim news, a little bit of the subtext there. Let me flip a little bit of, of what you said. I mean, the, the slackening pace of job loss is a good sign. I mean, if you look at it, it's like a, a stair But it doesn't indicate right an improving job market, which is what they said. That's right. And, and nor should it be the, the, the first paragraph. In, exactly. In story and about Shannon this. and I were talking about this beforehand uh, when we when we do our cheating and come up with what we're going to say. <laughs> you guys were planning? Which is, which is that it, it, we don't want to get into conspiracy. Well, yeah, we do because they're more fun. But really what's going on here is one of those things where uh, the, the tone of the media, I I believe I see it shifting to the unrealistic mode. Everybody wants to be happy for a change, I believe. And so I'm seeing some pretty sloppy reporting on issues like this. And financial media editors will tell you some questions that you should ask your reporters when they're pitching these happy talk stories that uh, maybe would make them less happy talk. Let me get back to investors for one second, because you said you were not worried about stocks. and, And I sort of took from that, you know, in the short term. But for the next year or so. I, I was I don't, gonna say for I, the next year. I mean, really, doesn't doesn't economic recovery depend on job creation, and therefore, at some but point, but stock prices don't necessarily depend on economic recovery because they look forward, and they also they they discount all sorts of other things. 
And they also, you have to remember that stocks are, are an alternative to the horrible yields on a lot of well, that's, that's supposedly so-called safe investments. So the minute we see bonds or other things uh, kind of yield a bit more, I think then you do have to worry about stocks. Well, that, that's the interesting point, right? Where does this money go? Uh, there aren't other uh, alternatives that are that much more attractive uh, at all. But what you do see is there was a, a beginning of a trickling of inflows into equity mutual funds. So retail investors, mom and pop investors slowly dipping their toe back in the water. If you know the market is flattish or down, that enthusiasm is going to wane and it'll just stay in cash. Yeah. Nice holiday season for retailers. Figures released this week show that same store sales for retailers in December were the strongest since April 2008. Among the chains showing year-over-year increases were Costco, Target, Macy's, Sears, and Nordstrom, while companies like Walmart, Amazon, and Toys R Us helped drive December sales with big discounts. Guys, I mean... Do you agree? Was it a good December? Well, a good December relative to, to what? It's, a, it's the same <laughs> to the thing. December of two thousand eight. <laughs> it's the it's the happy talk, uh, you know, narrative arc that these guys are following relative to a year ago, a two point nine percent uptick. Give me a break. That yeah, was I, the catastrophic levels uh, back in two thousand eight. It, it's like if Shannon and I go to uh, you know Ecuador and find out that we are among the top ten hockey players. Uh, actually, I, I know for a fact I am. So. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Google, which unveiled its Nexus One smartphone this week. Superphone, excuse me. (laughs) Unlike Apple's iPhone, the Nexus One won't be tied to just one wireless carrier. The unlocked version will sell for $529 and a version with service from T-Mobile for $179. Aside from the various bells and whistles, Google's phone has a larger screen than Apple's iPhone. It's thinner, narrower, and lighter. Guys, how worried should Apple be? Apple should be very worried if uh, Google gets Rutger Howard to come out of retirement and <laughs> reprise his role as the, one of the androids from Blade Runner. <laughs> Nexus, I, Nexus 7, I think Nexus he was? Nexus 7, yeah. Wow, a Blade Runner kinda, reference. They kind of ripped that off a little bit. I, You guys know I, I don't like Steve Jobs at all. I'm really no fan of, of Apple. I was really in the market for a smartphone and in particular an unlocked smartphone. I was hoping this thing would be great. And it's not so great. It's inferior, I think, in, in a lot of ways to some of the f- smartphones that are already out there. Uh, no multi-touch screen, for instance, which is a very handy thing to have on a full screen uh, or a large screen smartphone. Otherwise, it's it's really underwhelming. And I just don't, you, know, you say you want to put it on AT&T. Guess what? You're, you're down to edge network data speeds, not the 3G that you get from an iPhone or from, say, a Windows mobile smartphone that runs on AT&T. This is not a game changer. Really, what this is is evidence that you know uh, the guys in the pork pie hats are completely enthralled by Google, which which is also weird because Google's sort of uh, taking away their livelihood in a lot of other ways. But um, this is not a game changer in the short term. In the long term, it probably puts pressure on Apple's margins because the Android platform probably will get some development support and create an ecosystem that's uh, more competitive with the iPhone app store than it is currently. But in the short term, I don't think Apple has anything to worry about. At, at all. The hype leading up to this made it seem as though, oh, look out, Apple, here it comes. And it comes out, and it's a bit of a disappointment. It, it, from what I have read, and I've not actually played with the phone yet, but I've watched some videos online, it looks fine. And the the uh, voice dictation that you can do across all programs is pretty interesting as well. In the iPhone, that exists through an app, but you have to cut and paste from the app into the, the email that you want to send. Apparently, in the Google phone, they merged that technology into uh, the applications themselves. So that seems like a, a cool development 
development. But yeah, to me, uh, no game changer at all. Yeah. I mean, it, if they have iFart Mobile for for Android, then that might be more of a. <laughs> A selling point. Let, let's focus on the long term for a second. Let, <laughs> Chris will not dignify I'm that. Not, with I'm, I'm just moving. Moving, moving right along. Just nothing, to see, nothing to see here, folks. Uh, Let's see if they have. Henry that. Blodgett put forth this argument this week, and I wanted to get you guys uh, get you to react to this. Um, Blodgett wrote uh, that what Google is doing to Apple right now is analogous to what Microsoft did to Apple in the 1980s. And let me let me give you a little more detail. So in the 80s, Apple comes out with the Mac computer, and it's a very locked system, the the software, the hardware, all together. Microsoft comes out with their software, and they basically make partnerships with anyone who wants to carry it. And by the end of the decade, Microsoft is in much better shape than Apple is. Long term, is that what Apple could be facing with smartphones, that Google has got this unlocked software that they're going to distribute as widely as possible, so that maybe not in the short term, but five years down the line, uh, Apple's got a huge problem on their hands. Yeah, open source will will uh, win the the war and and the battles along the way too. But I think that Apple that's a, a very interesting argument. But it's almost uh, too clever by two thirds. <coughs> I don't think that <laughs> Apple has that Five problem sevenths. anymore uh, because of the App Store. Yeah, and they so open. Third they party open, developers yeah. are developing programs for they, them. They they this is wide open uh, by Apple terms, especially compared to the to some of the what happened in the computers. So I think they're far enough out with this. That, that they're fine. And actually, I, I still believe that Apple's kind of restrictive app store uh, policy, which is they have to okay everything, helps them. In other words, since things aren't so wild west, there's a little more quality control than there will be for Android, uh, or that there w- than there was with Windows Mobile, where you can where you can get a hold of some stinkers. And if people put bad software onto your OS, they tend to blame your OS. So okay. Apple has has taken care of that. And speaking of stinkers, you've pulled up on your laptop. Would you like to share the, with everyone uh, the I app? Can, that I you... can confirm this is good news for for Google and the Nexus One that iFart Mobile is coming to Android. <laughs> can you say that? We can say that on the show, can't is, is we? That, is that allowed? In, in, our, in our house, we use the word toot. <laughs> but that's Steve, not the name Steve, of the program. Steve, can we get a ruling on this? <laughs> I'd prefer you didn't say it, actually, because it's kind of revolting. But. <laughs> it is right. one of the most popular iPhone apps of all time. And if you if you want to try to be better than that, don't download it for a dollar because it's hilarious. <laughs> All right. Well, the Google News comes as the Super Bowl for Geeks is taking place in Las Vegas. Yes, it's the annual consumer electronics show going on as we speak. Guys, here are the numbers out of Las Vegas. More than 110,000 attendees, more than 2,500 exhibitors, and there are more than 20,000 new products being showcased. And of course, every product, uh, all the manufacturers hoping that their product is going to be the next big, huge buzz item. With all of this tech news coming out of Las Vegas this week, Shannon, was there anything that really caught your attention? Well, you know, on the spectrum of these kinds of uh, uh, fetishist get-togethers, is it closer to Sundance or is it closer to you know a comic book convention? I think it's mostly closer to the comic book. I convention. think it's much yeah. closer to the comic. I think the people are yeah are probably as ugly as at the comic book convention. <laughs> 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 uh, yes. So the the big theme uh, coming out of it, or the the big uh, uh, techie narrative in, in that media, it has to do with tablet PCs, uh, the, the Apple tablet, and the flattening of uh, technology. So Apple, and this is not necessarily connected with the the convention, uh, they've apparently filed a patent to compress both the touchscreen technology with the screen itself. Right now, there's a sandwiching that goes on, which contributes to the thickness of these devices. If they actually pull this off uh, in terms of the design and partner with the folks who manufacture the screens, the uh, devices will become that much thinner and that much cheaper. 
which is not all that much thinner actually uh I, i'm i'm sitting here with a tablet computer in front of me right now these have been around forever so i always find this amusing thick as a brick i'll have story. everyone know well it is not a slate uh, on its own it has a keyboard and all sorts of drives and everything else but the reason that tablet computing has not taken off is that uh, the inconvenient thing is that tablets really aren't all that uh, ergonomically satisfying you stick this thing in your lap and you very quickly have a sore neck and Putting things, uh, entering data into a tablet is, you know, with a pen, for instance, is really best reserved for marking up uh, content, which is what I use it for most of the time. Math teachers and science teachers have been big adopters of the uh, Microsoft uh, OS tablet computers because it's easier for them. But as soon as you have to type in something or enter something that's more than a couple lines, you want to turn this thing around and you want to type. And so I don't think these things will replace netbooks. I'm really, I think uh, an Apple tablet has a great chance of being about as revolutionary as Apple TV. But I want to, I want to <laughs> tell you. Oh, uh, we'll the, see about that. The thing I that was a, most yeah. interesting uh, or horrifying from CES is that uh, Audi and Ford and other automakers appear ready to uh, to put Wikipedia and other internet content right there in front of people in the cars on the so, dashboard on the dashboard so that so that more of us can be killed by people screwing around on the internet while they drive just as so long as it's not porn I think we'll be fine <laughs> so wait wait a minute I mean let me throw one other thing out there in terms of tablets uh, one of the headlines I saw. PC World on their website, they, there was an article proclaiming 2010 is the year of the tablet. Uh, you know, if people are in love with their smartphones to the degree that they seem to be, mm-hmm. um, w- where is the demand going to come from? Well, maybe, maybe the tablet they're referring to is Ambient. People are just going to fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, th- I think you've got the point there. Some some people, these will, I'm sure Apple's going to produce a really nifty device, but it's going to fit between smartphone and, and their excellent laptops. And I think that market is very small. Yeah, you, you, you can't see him, but Seth is very afraid. He should be afraid. So, right, nobody wants Why to... Why would I be afraid? Well, you'll find out. <laughs> nobody wants to input that much text uh, on, a, on a tablet. It's true, but they're going to have ports for keyboards. You could have this at your home. You could be using so it as your... you're carrying wait, around wait. all this extra stuff? No, well, then what you're not carrying around, my friend, is your Kindle. This could be the Kindle killer. No, we've already talked about why that's not possible, because a screen that can support video cannot be a screen that supports long battery life and easy reading like e-ink screens. Maybe in a few years, where, where with I, a technological see, breakthrough, it's possible, but right now, not possible. Where I see most of the Kindles uh, are on my morning commute on the Metro, and I, certainly a tablet, uh, PC, or, or a Mac will be able to support the typical length of the typical commuter's time in the train. Not at all. Too X, big. A, too X. big. And too short a battery life. Kindle's gone. That's my prediction. I know we're past the predictions, but uh, at the end of it, won't it won't happen. It, Exit question. Gone. Exit question. If the attendees at the Consumer Electronics Show are really, on average, that ugly, how come we're not there? <laughs> was there no money in the because budget? The to budget send us there? Because, yeah, because the budget here is tight and they're not sending my ugly no, butt wait to a, the CES. Wait a minute. Where's James? I know. That's what oh, I'm oh, oh, oh. <laughs> they sent the one good-looking guy there to try to uh, bring up the James, aggregate James, attractiveness level. When James doesn't show up, he's, he's got to take what's coming to him. All right. All right. Uh, as we head into the following week, uh, Shannon, give me one stock that is on your radar. I'm not going to give you one. I'm going to give you 300. Wow. <laughs> I'm actually I'll sit e- back and get comfortable. It's, Index fund. <laughs> it's a, it is a, an ETF. It's the Wisdom Tree Large Cap Dividend. And I'm, I'm actually sort of uh, I'm, uh, sucking up to James now. James runs our income investor service, and it's focused on dividend-paying stocks. I actually think that James's service, of all full services, will likely do the best in the, in the next year as people gravitate toward dividend payers during what's likely to be a 
flat to down market. Uh, where are they going to get the return? Not from price appreciation, but from the income uh, payouts. And so that'll have the uh, the happy effect of boosting prices for dividend paying stocks as well. The Wisdom Tree Large Cap Dividend ETF DLN is the ticker. It doesn't have that wild a yield right now. It's a little under three percent, but it's higher than the market. And I think that that's the uh, area of the market that folks should take a look at. And if you want to take a basket approach, this is an interesting ETF. Okay, Seth, Jason. I've been buying dividend pairs, including a lot from James Service, out the wazoo lately, uh, because I want people to to show me the money. And there's some pretty good (laughs) yields out there uh, on some pretty solid companies. But I'm just going to go back to the well. uh, It's it's more of a high, told you so kind of a thing, I guess. That's just how grown up I am. (laughs) On Fossil, which I talked about on the show a couple, two, three weeks ago as as one to watch, they came out uh, with the surprisingly good Q4. preview, um, better than expected sales, up the guidance a little bit. And again, it doesn't look cheap, but this is a company that has had a history of doing really well in a business that you wouldn't expect anybody could do well, which is sort of selling uh, middle midline watches. And, uh, and you know, the CEO works for nothing. And that's not the fake nothing. That's the actual nothing. So I believe that they are aligned with shareholders. They've done a great job in the past. Take another look. What's the ticker? The ticker is, well, that's my fossil watch, actually, which you're seeing <laughs> that ticker. The ticker on my symbol. wrist. I got one for Christmas, <laughs> which is what put them over the edge. The ticker symbol is F-O-S-L. I own it, and it is also one of our uh, candidates at Hidden Gems. Yeah, Seth and I also work for free. We do this for love. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Seth, Jason, Shannon, Zimmerman, guys, thanks for being here. You're welcome. That's it for this edition of Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Do your homework and make your own decisions. Thanks for listening and tune in next week where we'll be sharing some big news about the future of Motley Fool Money. You won't want to miss it. I'm Chris Hill. We'll see you next week.